Welcome to Spellstorm Miniatures, a podcast about miniature wargaming, including War Machine and Hordes by Privateer Press. We want to inspire you to play more. to episode 18. Uh, this is Jeremiah. And Dan. This is Chad. And uh, we're excited to bring this uh, conversation to you today. Uh, we're going to go a little uh, highbrow, meta. We're going to take a 30,000 foot view. I don't know what <laughs> word you want to use, but uh, today our topic is basically going to be talking about uh, what games are. And we're taking a little inspiration from a book called A Theory of Fun for Game Design uh, by Raf Koster. And uh, he's, uh, he's one of those guys who is in the industry who, who thinks about the industry and then writes and talks about it. And so there's some things that, that we're excited to uh, interact with, I guess, as hosts. So that's, uh, that's our fun topic for today. Uh, before we get there, though, um, we want to uh, check in to see uh, where you guys are at. Have you guys played any games lately? Uh, not really. Trying. <laughs> I'm getting some organized and, and keep trying to set some up, but they just kind of fall through or time, and <laughs> I'll get there. Yeah. How about you, Chad? you playing any games lately? Uh, I've gotten some non-War Machine games in. Well, yeah, uh, tell us about those. I got to play a couple games of Monster Apocalypse. Um, I also went to a trade show for my work um, for one of our distributors and got to demo a whole bunch of games. That was a lot of fun. So nice. I got to uh, play test a game that should be coming out, like hopefully around Gen Con time, called Jetpack Joyride, which is a really fun game. Uh, I got to demo Copenhagen, the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, which is a very interesting mm-hmm. um, percentile-based system, um, and some other games too. So the Warhammer Fantasy, that is that one is put out by Cubicle 7. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, they they publish some some good good things. Mm-hmm. I've I've yeah. had some of their stuff in the past. They're also doing a an Age of Sigmar one. I don't remember if it's I don't know if it's been like officially announced, but they're going to be doing an Age of Sigmar one. Oh. Uh, called Soul Soul Wars maybe something like that. So you know how in Warhammer Fantasy combat is like super super lethal. Yeah. Like and a lot of times you want to avoid it. Uh, the Age of Sigmar one is going to be basically complete opposite of that, where you are playing heroes in the midst of this war, and you just go do crazy stuff. Because that's what Age of Sigmar yeah, is. It's, okay. it's pretty much like, hold my beer, the RPG. of like, <laughs> Dude, I could get on board with that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like fun every It now sounds and super cool. It's like, I want to play some like Stormcast Eternal hero that just like, oh, I'm just going to go take on these two blood letters. We'll be right back, guys. Yeah, yeah. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty great. Yeah. All right, all right. Yeah, um, so I non-war machine games for me, I think lately has just been um, some some Yu-Gi-Oh and some Commander. Um, the the boys and I we've been playtesting some new decks for that they got recently, and nice. so uh, we've had fun doing that. And I have since decided to ditch my Commander and try out a new one, mm-hmm. and so I'm looking forward to that. Don't ask me the name of the new one because I don't know the names yet. What are the what's um, the color type anyway? It is uh, black and green, and it's uh, okay. one of each. And it has the ability to 
when when it when a one one token is placed on it, no matter where he goes on the board, the one one token remains. Oh, it's uh batters no. No, it's it not batter skull. So it's an S maybe. Um, Sky, Scarbar, uh, Skullbriar. Skullbriar. There we go. That's the one. Yeah, might be. Yeah. So, no, I know who. The, yeah, I yeah. know who that guy is. I was playing. I was running mono green for a while and decided that I wanted to splash a little black and, which is really appropriate because then that means when we play commander at our house, every color is represented mm. in in one of the decks at least. So that was one color that wasn't really represented in our home. So really, that's so odd because I I, yeah. I use black in almost every deck that I build just because there's so much yeah. so much good stuff in there, and you can do a lot of very degenerate things with black green com uh, right deck combos. Well, when I was running just standard, like before I quit Magic, um, yeah. I was a black green or a or a, a green blue, like depending yeah. on where I was yeah. where I was at in the world. I like splashing black a lot. Yeah, but I didn't think to do it with my commander yeah. deck. Um, so now I am. Golgari is what it's referred to as. Is does a lot of a lot of rude things. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's. I will be doing some rude things, hopefully. <laughs> at, at the moment, Ozzy's uh, he's a mono red goblin, and uh, okay. and he um, is he playing Krenko? Yes, he is. Yeah. And so I think did he get the new Krenko that just came out in? War I don't know what he has. Oh he made twenty four goblins in one turn. Oh yeah, twenty four one ones. The tin street he kingpin just, is is really good too. Yeah. And then and then like yeah he like he keeps doubling like every yeah every time and so if you can't deal with those one one goblins, um, it's brutal. That's why you just need so, removal. So. Oh, you know we okay actually you know uh. what you can put into your black and green deck. <laughs> that will just kind of rain on his parade. There is a card that came out in War of the Spark called Massacre Girl. It's uh, two black and three for a 4-4 with Menace, and then when it enters play, all creatures opponents control get minus one, minus one. And then whenever another creature other than Massacre Girl dies, all creatures except for Massacre Girl get minus one, minus one, and it keeps chaining. Oh, oh that's wicked. Yeah, it's super good. <laughs> There's like good. this so infinite if you, loop of if you just play, go- goblin killer. Yeah, if you play, uh, if anyone is familiar with Hearthstone, it's very, very similar to the Defile card that is played by the Warlocks, which mm. is it does one damage to everything. If anything dies, you recast the spell. The ability on Massacre Girl is extremely similar, where whenever mm. something dies another static minus one minus one gets applied to everything except for her and then if anything else dies another one applies and then another and okay. another and another and it keeps scaling as things die nice. it's it's really good and it might be a good uh pseudo board wipe for you to put into your black green deck okay plus once i, I wrote it down yeah I, i'm taking notes here. when everything is <laughs> when everything is said and done you have a four four uh menace creature so if you attack with it it requires it's your opponent to, to have block. at least two creatures yeah. to block it it's a really good it's a really good creature and it's a legendary creature too. Oh okay. So if you wanted to build a, a mono black deck around it you could then that could become yeah. okay. Well those are options that I will consider. <laughs> hey, how about any uh, War Machine games? Commander's my jam, dude, if you All right. <laughs> we could, good we could talk for we a have long some time expertise about it. here. So uh, any any War Machine games lately, guys? No. Ooh, you <laughs> I've guys. Been, I've been playing Monpoc instead of War Machine okay. recently. Well, it's still a PP product, so yeah. why don't you of, tell us about your Monpoc games? Uh, so I got to play... Uh, we're doing an Iron uh, Isle of an Annihilation League, and I pulled a bunch of people that are not regular miniatures players. Like Some of them are, are regulars that play Magic. Um, started pulling them into Monster Apocalypse. So um, I recently got my Sky Sentinel and Strike Jets 
all painted up. Uh, last week I played nice. uh, a one monster game uh, against a guy named Justin, uh, who normally plays like Menoth in some other factions, but he played uh, Thulgrash, and I played uh, Sky Sentinel. Highlight of the game was I got to use all ten power dice to throw Thulgrash ten spaces across the table into two buildings. That's wicked. And almost killed him. Like <laughs> that's was, awesome. At the end of the at the end of the game, he only had one hit point left, and he managed to I think use just Thulgrash's. I think he walked around and was able to avoid. Standing in a hazard, I positioned myself where um, there was something in front of me, so he couldn't stand in front of me. And then there were like two other places nearby me where he couldn't stand because they were hazards, and it mm. would have killed his monster. But he managed to still position himself, and then I think get just a brawl attack off, okay. and uh, and finish off Sky Sentinel. But playing Sky Sentinel with the strike jets makes those strike jets really, really accurate. It's, nice. it's a lot of fun. I think we're going to be getting in some some Monpoc, uh here at the house because uh, Laura has been bribing Ozzy with Monpok models yeah. <laughs> uh, to get his homework done, and so uh, so now he has um, way more Monpok than I do, and at some <laughs> point I'll have to catch up to him. But well, I mean, apes are apes are coming out soon. You've just yeah. been waiting for those yeah. to come out down That's the true. pipeline. Then I'll then I'll be month, caught up with so. them probably. But yeah, but I've got yeah. I only have Defender X, Sky Sentinel, and then I just picked up another unit of G tanks and Strike Jets. Okay. So now I have two of each of those units. So I'm just focusing on guard right now. Yeah. But I did also pick up Kraken Octus because he looks like a lot of fun, and eventually I'm going to get Carnadons, and I want to get like. Terracon and Armadax and cool. I'm just not really interested in Shadow Sun, but yeah. Well, um, I got a couple War Machine games in um, during the uh, um, Memorial Day weekend. Mm. Uh, we decided that uh, my family we went to the lake uh, like two out of the three days on on that weekend, and so I decided to invite some folks out to play War Machine on the Monday morning before okay. we went out to the lake that day. And it was actually a really nice compromise. I got a little bit of game time in, and then I got some family time yeah. in. But that morning, I got a chance to play uh, someone who I've known for a long time, and then um, didn't know that he played War Machine. Mm -hmm. And so it was really cool to, to reconnect and then to play a game with him. Uh, one thing we did not do, it was a 50-point game, mm -hmm. and he was playing uh, minions for the very first time, I think. It was the first time he put his minions on the table. And so I... And I was playing at Morgul 1 at 50 points, and that might have been the first time I was playing Morgul 1, mm -hmm. or a second time. But uh, one thing we did not do is we did not put a clock on the table, uh, which okay. is which is unusual, because usually I do like to play with yeah. the clock. Um, yeah. And so, so anyway, so we were playing very casually, and, and admittedly, I was super slow and talkative and, and everything. And so one thing could be, an argument could be made that if we were on the clock, I would have lost by clocking myself, <laughs> um, which is a, a fair argument to be made. Yeah. Um, but what uh, ended up happening in that game is I learned how awesome Morgul 1 is mm -hmm. and was able to uh, really go up on scenario and, and then really apply a lot of pressure on him um, in the scenario. So at one point I was up 3-0 on my turn, I think, because I ended up charging um, his... Um, objective and be able to take out its objective, mm -hmm. and he had um, uh, what's that when you when you jump out of the way three inches when someone comes oh, at you? Oh, admonition. Yeah, so he had admonition out of the way, and 
which got me able to go for his objective, which I don't think he thought I was going for. Mm. And so that that actually was what put me up 3-0 on scenario, because I had the two scenarios and then I had the objective. And so, and then Morgul 1 was hiding behind a central building, kind of off to the corner a little bit. And he was able to triangulate a charge, but he, I think, missed the attack and I dodged um, two inches away. Okay. And then he wasn't able to do anything. Yeah. He could have, in hindsight, uh, he was in, within melee range of my objective and he could have finished his activation trying to go after that, but he did not. Yeah. And had he done that, then it would have been a much more of a game because at the end of his turn, I won 5-0 scenario. Yeah. And so that was probably, probably the first game I've ever played where I won on scenario on my opponent's turn, yeah. uh, which means that I, I really had a master of the board. Um, so I felt really good about that. Um, but then my other game, I did not feel so good about. I <laughs> uh, played Eli. Um, he was he was purposely uh, pla- uh, preparing for an, an upcoming event, and so he had the Iona Lord of the Feast mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And the way the scenario, so that we I can't remember exactly which scenario we had. I think it was the two circles with the square in the middle. Uh, Owl face or whatever uh, that one is. Invasion. I invasion. I think that was the scenario. More importantly. It was the terrain that messed me up. Mm. And so the terrain was put on the table in a randomized fashion and with a central line of sight blocking, uh, as, as we normally do in our area, yeah. right? And most of the forest was on was decidedly on one side of the table. Okay. And then on the other side, there was this ugly building just inches away from the, that person's deployment zone. Okay. And I was, I have a desert hydra, and I'm thinking, ugh, a building, you know. And I was thinking about deployment, and I won the role to choose whether to go first or not. Mm. I chose to go second, so I can choose my deployment. It, you know, evading the building, and not allowing him to have the forest. I quickly learned that against Iona, you want to go first if you can. Yeah. yeah. Because what happens is he fully deployed, yeah. and then I deployed, and and I actually deployed very compactly because I was sort of afraid of the Lord of the Feast thing, and there was and he had just I'm telling you a millimeter out of my ability to get him with my spray from the Desert Hydra. Like if it was just just a little, you know, I mean he was and he didn't measure that. And so he was. It was a very fortunate uh, positioning on his part, and so um, and so he was able to. And then, but unfortunately, by by putting my desert hydro there, uh, it actually became within charge range of some of some unit or whatever. Um, it can charge thirteen and range two, and you know I can't remember the names of them, but ravagers, uh, ravagers probably. So uh, so anyway, but I was but I was pretty compact. Because I was trying to avoid the the Lord of the Feast Alpha, yeah. But unfortunately, it was not compact enough, <coughs> and he was able to get in there and just. I think he took out like four or five models, you know, weakened a bunch. And I mean, I, I took out the Lord of the Feast the next turn, but like, yeah. but at that point, the Lord it of the Feast do its it, it did what it was supposed yeah, to do. This job. And then, um, and so, so then I looked at my turn. Now it was my turn, and. Um, and he was going, you know, scenario wasn't even an issue because I wasn't hardly contesting anything. 
and I decided that I would try for an assassination attempt. And so using um, the ability to cast ghostly and different things like that, I could get my warlock in on Iona. Mm-hmm. Now my warlock has two weapons, a half-inch melee and a one-inch melee weapon. Yeah. And I decided that I would do everything I could to try to get within half-inch so that I can get that other weapon on them. Unfortunately, doing so triggered something, or, or it made me spend two extra fury that I probably should have not spent and oh. instead just just position myself yeah. to use the one weapon and then buy an extra attack or two depending on how the fury uh, yeah. went out. And so, and that would have maybe given me a shot, but after the assassination attempt, I just shook hands and, and it just, it didn't feel good. Yeah. <laughs> it was a, you know, it, it um, yeah. and so Ozzy was playing at the other table and, and Eli offered to re-rack and I was like, oh, he'll finish their game. And, and, you know, we go home. Yeah, no, their game no. took forever. You know, <laughs> I think Andrew and Ozzy were just bantering back and forth, poking fun at each other. And, and they tried so hard to kill each other and they couldn't. It was Crucible Guard against Trollbloods. And, and they get done with their game. And I've been waiting around forever. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like, well, we could have re-racked, yeah, you yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, feel like, but, I feel like. Talking a little too much during the game is a common trait between you and uh, you and Ozzy. We are very um, <laughs> social beings. Yeah. I will say Ozzy talks way more smack than I do, though. Yeah. I don't talk any smack. I try not to talk any smack. Yeah, but Ozzy just, you just, you know, you just want to punch him. <laughs> he needs he needs some. Uh, I almost feel like he needs some good players to knock him down a peg or two. Well, well, here here it is. You know, his very first. Okay, here's the problem. His very first game against anybody, not me or Dan was Greg Hunter. Greg, yeah. <laughs> and and so Greg Hunter set the trajectory for Ozzy's War Machine career. And he so he now thinks everyone's like Greg. Uh, the problem is that not no. everyone is. <laughs> not not very many people are like him. No, Greg is, Greg, Greg is wonderful. And you know, and I thought of all the people that he could have played for the first round that day, I was I was happy as a dad. I was like, okay, okay good. He's safe with Greg, right? <laughs> But I'm I miss I mistook uh, the uh, <laughs> the the uh, unintended consequences of playing Greg. Yeah. Um, because Greg can push Ozzy's buttons and does so. Yeah. And the two of them they go back and forth. It's kind of funny <laughs> to watch actually. But uh, you know Greg has kids and he knows he knows kids yeah, so yeah. it's good. So, well, uh, why don't we get to our main topic and uh, the the underlying question and this is something that. I think every podcast seems to want to answer, and we all have different um, takes on it and different approaches to it, and there's a reason why we play all the games we play, and there's a reason why some games seem to stick and we keep playing them over and over again. And, and so the underlying question is, you know, essentially, what are games? And so um, before we do any reading, if I were to ask you that question, um, you know, just as, as a game player, how would you have come up with an answer for what are games? You know, how would you answer that question yourself? Uh, I feel like we should have asked ourselves this question beforehand and then wrote an answer down. <laughs> I know. Because, um, yeah. I think the thing that I would have described it, what I would have said was that games are something, it's something that we do in free time for enjoyment um either 
to try and figure out a strategy or because we enjoy the strategy, especially in War Machine, of um, trying to unravel the knot a lot of times. It's one yeah. of the things that I enjoy with Circle a lot is uh, is trying to figure out how you're going to unravel the knot and get that assassination. But some of it is also um, just the social aspect of it. There's a lot of different board right. games and things like that uh, that are social games where you just hang out and play a cooperative game with your friends. And yeah talk about the game that you're playing um the marvel was it marvel yeah uh legendary encounters marvel um is a card game that a buddy of mine jeremy uh and his wife and other really good friend really enjoy and we like sitting down and playing it because it's a cooperative game and we like is it a a deck building game uh yes yeah yeah Yeah, i played that before it's a great game yeah it's a good game and um we like the social aspect of just sitting around and talking about it and and BSing while we're playing, and it's not so intense that um, we're really bending over backwards to try and figure things out. Uh, but it's also like there's enough going on that it keeps our attention that we don't get bored. Yeah. So, so I I would say the game uh, games are things that we do in our spare time for for enjoyment. Okay. Dan, what would you say a game is? Yeah. So um, prior to again prior to reading the book, it would have been. Like good to kind of think about that, but I mean, I can set it aside and have the pre-notion of depending on where you're looking at, right? For the most part, as kind of our adult, you know, games again, just you want to have fun, you want to try to connect with somebody else, you want to have that enjoyment, you want to have the competition aspect of it somewhat, right? There's yeah. that kind of you want to be able to maybe you don't, you know, you're not playing any major league type sport, you know, baseball, basketball, soccer, football, any of that sort of stuff. It's another way to do it. Um, thinking on the kid level. Like, you know, essentially tag is running away from predators, right? Like, you got to get your kids faster. They get eaten. Yeah. Um, Hide and seek is very similar, right? Learn how to hide from a danger. I'm just saying. Yeah. You know, um, they're, they're, uh, as a younger, as a young kid, the games are more along the lines of teaching was kind of my thought is like again mm-hmm. kids having fun you know you get, they want to run around they want to have the social aspect but it all, they're also usually learning a little bit of something out of it too or practicing something mm-hmm. without really realizing they're practicing it yeah um whereas an adult you're a little more clever and usually understand that okay i know i'm doing this game this way but i'm really practicing this way sort of thing yeah. so you know they're time killers ways to have fun as an adult and yeah. just enjoy some things i think also i was just thinking about this i think sometimes it is a way for us as adults to escape from the responsibilities of our everyday Uh, lives yeah sometimes you just want to go and hang out with your friends and play a board game and not think about the hard day you had at work or the chores you have to do at home or maybe some stress that's at home or something like that we also some people use games as an enjoyable escape from our everyday lives yeah indeed Especially I, people who don't do it on such a regular basis. Like, there are some people that only game, like, once a week. But then there are other people like us that I think game, you know, the majority of our week at some point. Yeah. Like, I yeah. at one point I was doing some sort of a gaming event almost every single night of the week, and it was exhausting. <laughs> yeah. It was exhausting in some ways. There's there's definitely a balance to have too much and too little. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think what I'm hearing, you know, there's definitely um, some themes that that are coming out in in our in our discussion so far but i'm also hearing that there's different purposes for the game and one of the things that i was thinking about when about this question is when i coached uh soccer mm-hmm. i coached soccer for um i think eight years and every um 
and then every year I would go to these clinics and eventually I, I got a, my national soccer coaching license mm-hmm. or whatever. And, um, you know, it was, it was something that, um, I didn't have to do. It was something that I, that I, that I particularly enjoyed doing, uh, was learning more about the game and being able to coach it. But th- there was a, um, an epiphany moment in my coaching as somewhere halfway through my coaching career. In the beginning, I would, when I had practice, I would, I would have these drills and, you know, we, we would run, we'd dribble, we'd pass, we'd shoot and, and sort of the stereotypical, this is how you coach soccer yeah. um, when you're an untrained soccer dad, right? Yeah. And then I started learning more about soccer and um, itself, but then I also learned more about the concept of coaching. And what I found was instead of running drills, I actually started to um, run these like mini games. Mm-hmm. And in the process of running these mini games, I taught uh, special uh, certain skills that went along with being able to be successful in these mini games. Mm-hmm. And so I was basically using games to teach my my players how to play the game yeah. better, you know. And so it was sort of this game within the game thing. Yeah. And so I started thinking. And that's about, kind of what drills are to begin with, anyway. Well, arguably, yeah. yeah. But sometimes, yeah. yeah. And so not so, really like doing wind sprint drills, but like, <laughs> well, yeah. You know, practicing of like running. I I grew up playing soccer too, and so yeah. like the practice practicing of um, running into the corner and kicking basically like a corner kick uh like a corner kick drill is is one way to practice doing that section of the game or you know running into a corner and kicking in uh, right. back towards the middle of the field is another way of of right. kind of a diversionary tactic of like drawing it's a mini game of drawing defenders away from the main of the middle of the field uh and then while they're out there faking them out and kicking the ball back towards the middle, or then sometimes all the way out to the opposite side where there's less people and maybe more of your team over there or something. I'm going to say yes. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm just going to agree with you because I'm an agreeable person. But, <laughs> um, but over the course of my coaching, I actually did less and less of those yeah, and more of these other types and um, that were kind of famous in like Brazil. Mm-hmm. And so um, what ended up happening was the way that I structured our, you know, our, our, our training time uh, was very different. And we ended up, and it ended up, you know, our team ended up doing so much better on the field and, mm-hmm. and actually becoming more competent soccer players and things like that. Yeah. But um, I guess the highlight for me, the, as I think about, because we want to talk about what games are. And, and so for me, I think games are... Um, there's like, I think there, there are ways to practice certain skills. I think that there's, you know, that, um, that they are, they're structured. They have, they have a rule set there. There's a mm-hmm. time frame and, you know, and things like that. And, um, but, but I think they, and this is the, I think this is the definition that I want to use. Is there a fantastic way to get your brain to think strategically? Mm-hmm. And so in the game of soccer, you are your own game piece. Yeah. But like in the game of chess, you get to think strategically about eight pawns and eight pieces, yeah. and then putting them in action and putting them on the on the thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, but but I love how one of the things you guys brought up was the difference between how 
children approach games yeah. and how adults approach games. Yeah. Um, because children definitely approach the game more from a learning um, yeah. relationship. And then the adults, you know, we, uh, you know, there is more of that entertainment. There's more of that social, yeah. you know, but we, but we still get to use our brain. Yeah. We still get to think strategically, things yeah. like that. And some of it, I mean, as a, it's also a more simple time because as a kid, you're looking for something to fill the day. Yeah. Whereas as an adult, you're looking, like I said before, it's almost like you're looking for some sort of an escape because yeah. you have so much going on in the day. You're like, I want something that's enjoyable and that's not just repetitive yeah. work. But like, I remember being a kid and, you know, summertime came around and it's like, unless I didn't have any friends to hang out with, I almost wasn't in the house. I like, yeah. I was out riding my bike and climbing trees and hanging out with friends and playing right. games and things like that. And, and, uh, don't look now, but you said playing games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, you, well um, kids make up games. Exactly. You know, uh, you got a line here, you got a line you, here, you yeah. got a ball here, you know, it's like, or you play with action figures or something like yeah. that and make believe some story. Like it's, Oh yeah. 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 It's so imaginative. It's, it's so creative. It's a much more simple time. Oh, <laughs> we can all go back. I wish, I wish so. someone had told me that being an adult sucked so much. I would have stayed a kid longer. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't have rushed off so quickly as well. As well. Yeah. Um, so we read a couple of very interesting things, and, and I want to run, I want to interact with a couple definitions that, um, of, of possible definitions of games. And some of these, they, they have some strengths to them, but then they also have um, uh, some obvious weaknesses to them. Mm-hmm. And so I want to just uh, interact with them for a little bit as, as a team here. Okay. And uh, one of them is, a game is a rule-based formal system with a variable and quantifiable outcome where different outcomes are assigned different values and the player exerts effort in order to influence the outcome and the player feels attached to the outcome and the consequences of the activity are optional and negotiable. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was a mouthful. Yes. And (laughs) it doesn't sit right with me because that's not how I feel when I play War Machine. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, what what is... um, But in a way, it kind of is. Yeah, why respond to that? Okay. Uh, In a way, it kind of is. Is because... Uh, so if you want to break it down yeah. uh, a little bit, the, the point of every War Machine game, the root point of mm-hmm. every War Machine match or game or whatever you want to call it, is for someone to win. Yep. And when you are putting multiple games back to, get, back to back in the form of a tournament, if you want to look at a tournament as a series of games where you're trying to, there are quantifiable values, mm-hmm. there are values for destroying for destroying units, war beasts, war casters. There are values for mm-hmm. controlling zones, destroying objectives. Those are all quantifiable objectives that you're trying to achieve on top of the initial objective, which is win the game. And, you know, you can you can win a tournament just by winning every single game, just by assassination. But then there are also ways to definitively win a game or get second place in your standings uh, by those quantifiable other right. objectives of destroying more army points, getting the most scenario points, and right. things like that. And it may not be the way that you look at it, but it is a much more logical and direct definition of what games actually that's, are. That's true. I think that there, I, I want to break it down a, a second um, because there, there is one emotive statement or phrase in that statement, mm-hmm. uh, which I want to address. 
But one of the things that, that's interesting when you take this definition and you apply it to War Machine yeah. is that it, it actually, I would add the word complex. Yeah. Because in War Machine, there are three win scenarios per yes. game, or win conditions, I should say, maybe. Yeah. And, then, and then there are multiple ways of scoring and breaking ties mm-hmm. in, a, you know, in, a, in a classic steamroller. Yeah. And so what that does is that makes the, dame, the game way more deep. Uh, you, yes. you take this definition, though, and you apply it to the game of, you know, tic-tac-toe mm-hmm. or solitaire or Sutt- chess. Settlers of Catan, yeah. Or Settlers of Catan. Like, if you yeah. want to talk about something like a different game that has yeah. quantifiable True. You know, objectives or point values and things like that. Tiny Towns is another good example of that. It's like everyone can build any buildings that they want to, but you Only- figuring out the correct combinations of things that will get you the most points is what you're yeah. ultimately trying to do. Yeah. So here's the here's the sticky part that here's the part of this the 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 state this this particular example of what a game might be um, that that kind of is sticky for me and it's the the player feels attached to the outcome okay um, because I think um, like for example when you're playing a competitive game like War Machine mm-hmm. um, both the way that it, it is good the really good games that I enjoy playing are when both players want to win and they bring their best to the table in order to win um the games that don't feel good to me are when maybe you uh maybe someone you know um, goes on tilt or whatever and they're no longer as invested the game as the other person but because that other person doesn't have an an equal an equally um invested opponent they actually lose a little bit of their interest in yeah. winning the game too. They just want to get out of the situation, yeah. you know, because their opponents on on tilt, you know, and so um, so that, that that's a that's an interesting component to this particular definition of mm-hmm. games um, because it, it does it does um, require that every yeah. participant is as equally invested as possible. Yeah, because um, not every game is that way. Yeah, and I think uh, through reading the book. Honestly, I feel like the author takes a little bit more of the standpoint of competitive online games, which is something that they mentioned is kind mm-hmm. of their background, like first-person shooters, uh, and mostly analyzing those types of things, and then also competitive, non—sorry, not competitive, but non-cooperative board games or non-cooperative mm-hmm. games where everyone is out to try and win yeah. and beat everyone else. Whereas the the interesting thing that I think the reason why we're having a little bit of trouble or at least why you that definition doesn't resonate with you well is and for our listeners that definition didn't come from our author that was a i have a list of five that he offers from other people okay so yeah. this is not from our author well it's okay. it's an example that he gives in the in the book yeah. but um i think uh in particularly with war machine and our community it is not just about coming to a tournament and winning a game. There's also a very, very large social aspect yes, and social fulfillment to miniatures games a lot of times, and especially War Machine, and especially in our community, that I think yeah. makes it difficult for some of the theories that are in this book or the theories that are mentioned in this book uh, to apply directly as objectively yeah. as are stated in the book. Yeah. Like, for like you said, for your example, like you, I, you as a player, I know, don't mind losing a game if you had fun doing it. Absolutely. And that doesn't mean that you 
don't enjoy the game, it means that you are taking something else from it that is yeah. of value, that is different from the stereotypical, I'm looking to win. Uh, and that's kind of what Commander is in Magic. It's part of the reason why Commander is a little bit more fun is it is meant to be a social, multiplayer, political game uh, yeah. as opposed to just you and I are playing, I'm trying to beat you, I'm trying right. to do everything I can to beat you. It's it's a little bit odd because um, I think we all play things that are a lot more social. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good take because um, you're right miniatures i feel like is in it's um i think a higher level category when yeah. it comes to games because you do have the actual game side of it yeah and and so depending on what miniatures game you're playing you're going to have a more clear this is what a game is yeah. right but then you're right there's the hobby side so you have the opportunity to mm -hmm. express creativity you have the opportunity to you know choose paint schemes and poses yeah. and all these weird things you want to do and 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 that is absolutely subjective and creative yeah. no one can ever tell you that that yeah. model sucked and if I, they did they suck yeah and, and so I, uh, you know <laughs> and i think like i said yeah. i think that is also just um a lot of it also just has to do with our community because before i got involved in war machine or when i was involved in war machine before i ever got into 40k you hear lots of stories about the community being extremely negative situations and because mm. it is it is people treating a miniatures a social miniatures game as a board game where it's i'm here to win period oh and yeah. it creates all of those negative experiences that yeah. you hear about right. in the horrors of miniatures community of like right. i don't want to come to the table and play an opponent that is only here to win at all at all costs because that's not what we're here to do like we are here to win yeah. that's part of the game but there's also a deeper social aspect that War Machine has done a really good job. The community has done a really good job to cultivate yeah. and push away. And I think a lot of it kind of spawns from the negativity of uh, being in a situation where someone was only yeah. there to win and didn't care. So, so I want to I want to finish my thought. Well, that's a different topic. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. I was gonna say I want I want to finish my thought. What 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 makes miniatures on the whole better? I think higher than other other games is is because there are multiple ways to engage the hobby, you know, and we call it a hobby, right? Um, and so there's the gaming aspect, which we were kind mm -hmm. of already talking about, the hobby side of it, right? Mm -hmm. The social side of it, which you're talking about. And then, you know, and, and I think all of those thrown into a pot and mixed together, you know, and baked at 425, and you <laughs> get this, like, excellent environment mm -hmm. of, of enjoyment. And there's so many ways, like, there are guys who come out to the local game night to hobby and they don't they don't ever throw dice yeah you know and well, very but, rarely but do. they're still part of the community yeah. and they're contributors and they're you know they're amazing and so <laughs> me personally when i made the shift to miniatures that actually scratched an itch that i didn't know existed that mm -hmm. fulfilled um a creative hole that i had in my life like and yeah. you know and had the social aspect and all that stuff and so that's why i have a hard time with some of, some of these yeah. like more clinical definitions of yeah. and, what a game is. And I think it's just a, trying to apply the very bare bones. Yeah. It's, it's a very stark and very true definition or uh, description of, of what yeah. things actually are from a non-social gaming aspect, which are those ones where they're, yeah. they're non-cooperative, uh, where you are, you are there to win, period. Right. So I have a couple more that I want to interact with. 
and once again, these are not coming from our author yet. Okay, so one of them is um, games are a subset of entertainment limited to conflicts in which players work to foil each other's goals. <laughs> Just one of many leaves of a tree that includes playthings, toys, challenges, stories, competitions, and a lot more. Quick, any thoughts on that one? I mean, you're kind of going along the same idea of the, I think the aspect of the competitive play. Sometimes I think of like Ticket to Ride in that example because yeah. you can play that one, keep your own path, do your own thing, but you know what? You see someone and you can see their route, where they're going, and hey, I got three blues before they did. Ha ha. Now they've got to go around six different ways. And by the way, I hate that. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> right? Uh, well, it, and it makes me kind of actually think about uh, some a game that I've become recently familiar with called Tiny Towns, which is um, it's all about everyone gathering resources and building buildings. And I made mention of it earlier. Of everyone can build whatever buildings they want. Uh, but there's also this this mini game because of the way the the way the game works is every single turn there's a master builder the master builder decides which resource they want and everyone takes that resource so there's this and then it passes to the next person so there's this mini game of looking at what other people are building and what resources you believe you're going to get and analyzing what do you want to grab or what do you potentially want to get that's going to foil somebody else? Because yeah. as soon as your board is full, if you can't place any more resources, you're out of the round. And yeah. the round continues until, or the game continues until no one can fill their board and everyone is built as much as possible. So there's this mini game of, I want to look at Jeremiah's board, see what he's trying to build. Oh, he's trying to build a chapel. Well, chapel, he's, he needs stone. I need stone for something else, but I also need this other resource. If I take this other resource, it helps me and it gives Jeremiah a resource that he's not using right now that's going to clutter his board. So I'm going to pick that thing because it helps me and it yeah. screws up Jeremiah. Yeah. And there's that is kind of where it is also true of there are different things, especially in resource management games right. and worker placement and building and things like that. That is definitely very much seen of like, right. how are you achieving your goals, but also setting other people back? And it's a very true definition. I think, yeah, I think this is a, a better definition. I, it, it doesn't show itself in miniatures as much um, unless we're, Not really. no. um, unless you're, you know, some scenarios like, or, you know, if you can, like when we can test of someone's scenario point in War Machine where, you know, we're, we're foiling one of their goals. But it's a it's not a hard foil, um, you know. Yeah, there as and there, much, so. there are other harder foils yeah. that are a little bit more difficult to achieve uh, by placing uh, by placing things in the way that will do damage to opponents' things. So, yeah. for example, yeah. uh, Kruger one's feet is you get to place three three inch AOEs that do damage yeah, if yeah. an opponent enters yeah. them. You can place those in such ways that your opponent like can't get into a zone or can't get towards a flag that they're going to go to. Maybe they're not you know, scoring it right now, yeah. but next turn they were playing to contest it. That is a way to foil your opponent's plan to achieve your own goals a little bit better. Yeah, infinity it's just more difficult things. to do. Yeah, like I said, you hide, yeah. a, you hide someone around a building or you set somewhere up where you get some good AROs or something like that. You know, yeah, you're changing someone else's yeah. game plan maybe a little bit, trying yeah. to make them throw them off their game so that they have to now rethink either taking up time or energy whatnot. Yeah. I think it, I would argue in War Machine um, sometimes that can happen at list uh, list selection. Yeah. Like if you have a hard yeah. counter to someone and you and you uh, 
they're gonna naturally gonna choose the other list that doesn't have yeah. the hard counter. That's sort of a foiling. It's more of a meta foil. It's, it's more. They're more subtle things like um, having having an answer. Someone playing a heavy upkeep list that is reliant on their defensive upkeeps right. or something like that, or their uh, or their upkeeps against you. If you have a way to deal with that, you are foiling your opponent's plan and path to victory, and you are you know. Uh, progressing your own and some of it also more comes from uh, model placement Mm -hmm. being in in good positions to stop people from moving where they want to or uh, threaten things like free strikes or counter attacks it's a little bit different but the i think thinking about it a little bit more i disagree that the that we don't see it as much in miniatures gaming. I think it's just a very, very different, more nuanced. It's yeah. far more yeah. nuanced and more. I'm with you too. I'm, I'm shifting. I'm coming. I'm coming back to. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're like, oh no, I don't do anything to foil my yeah. opponent's plan except for when I place when I inconveniently place that heavy war beast somewhere yeah. to aura. counter a charge or yes yeah, so or entropic my aura. bronze yeah. back. Yeah. yeah. So here are two more. I just, I just have two more and. And uh, they are more succinct and really get to the point of what games are. And uh, let's interact with them. So the first one is um, a series of meaningful choices. Yeah. Both of us, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, like I said, it depends on your game. Again, you know, tic-tac-toe, for example, that's used widely in the book is, I mean, I guess you could have yeah. a seemingly number of tactful choices but <laughs> yeah uh, for the record for our listeners yeah. fun fact there are only 125,168 possible games in tic-tac-toe oh so, oh so good I, yeah so Sorry, I, I, I was that afraid one. that i had uh, that i didn't have any options <laughs> well yeah um so here's uh so here's the next one and this one i think um I think actually, this one is uh, as a, a second. Uh, you want to? Uh, I actually have a quote from a magic card uh, okay. that I think is Apropos. kind of relative to this. Yeah. Okay. So uh, there's a card where there's a quotation from it says, "My ancestor Toshiro used to say, life is a series of choices ba- uh, between bad and worse. I am a master of making great bad choices." I think that oh, that could the, be a life motto for yeah. some of us. <laughs> uh, and it, it's kind of it's sometimes sometimes playing a game is making the best choices, but sometimes it is making the best bad choices. Yeah, uh, to try and figure, and that's a little bit more of a that's how I vote. making the best of a bad situation, um, and trying to trying to maybe salvage some some wrench that somebody is throwing laugh at my joke. I okay. was trying to avoid political, okay, very good. political standing. Uh, so moving on. Um, <laughs> and trying to finish my thought, Jeremiah. <laughs> before I lost it. I'm you're, a really you're trying bad to host. foil him. I'm trying guys. to foil. Uh, so here's the last quote that I want to interact with. Um, it says, One or more casually linked series of challenges in a simulated environment. Yeah. I mean... I really like the idea. The last two talking about talking about choices. Yeah, and and I think some of the best games are ones that give players um, really meaningful choices. Yeah, and it, when you don't feel like you have a choice, is when the game really loses its fun value and its replayability. Like of those one hundred twenty-five thousand odd tic-tac-toe, you know, options. Some of those choices that you have to make are built in for you. You have to go there, otherwise yeah. you lose on the next turn yeah. kind of thing. And, and that's what makes some of the, the games that we play that are 
really wide and deep because we get to make a, a lot, a plethora of series of, of meaningful choices. Um, so I kind of, I kind of like those last two a little bit for those reasons. Um, so, so, so our author wanted to bounce his definition of what games are off of those uh, yeah. examples. And so how would you describe, after having read the first few chapters, um, and specifically the third chapter of this book, what does our author think a game is? Well, actually, I, I wrote down, it's something that he kind of directly says in the very first page of that very first chapter, and it's a very simple uh, definition, and it's that uh, games are puzzles to solve. And then they become more complex when you're discussing about series of series of choices or um, you know quantifiable objectives and point values or um, players trying to foil others and things like that. It becomes more complex definition, but I think just kind of the very if you think about a lot of games, um, and I made mention of this in my own definition of it is that games are puzzles to solve. It's ways. It's a way to make our brain work where it doesn't feel like yeah. work as much. You actually did, but you didn't use the word puzzle. I know. Yeah, was, I said I said not, and I did that on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and later yeah. on, in the at the end of chapter three, he calls games teachers. Yes. Yes. He really focuses on the learning aspect of games, and I think that comes from him being a parent. You know, yeah. he really he really interacts with how he teaches his children games, but. As adults who game, you know, we don't need teachers as much. Like, what is War Machine going to teach me? I mean, it's I, more of a, there's a sort of I an can, evolution. I can tell you a lot, actually. Humility. Um, no. <laughs> Losing with grace. Yeah. <laughs> Losing with grace. Uh, <laughs> no, one of the, one of the things uh, that you kind of talked about a little bit earlier without meaning to is playing on a clock. Um, playing on a, either a death clock or specifically if you're playing timed turns, what it teaches you is to quickly analyze, take in information, mm. analyze it, create a plan and execute a plan. And it's exactly Ooh. what very complex strategy games teach you is thinking quickly on your feet. Yeah. And if you, at one point, um, when I was playing war machine extremely competitively and i and that was my objective was to go to tournaments and win tournaments practicing on a clock uh and practicing timed turns is actually a way for you to train yourself to think more quickly and i think not only in a strategy game that i was playing but you can apply it to other games thinking quickly mm -hmm. um you can apply it to other life and situations hopefully you don't find yourself in a situation where you have to think and react super quickly uh and almost out of pure instinct but sometimes life does require that yeah. and i think it kind of helps uh condition your mind to take in information analyze the information formulate a plan and execute a plan um yeah. rapidly yeah i mean i was gonna say, uh, finish your thought yeah well see now i'm all Discombobulated. See, I'm not thinking quickly on my feet. I haven't played uh -huh. the game before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but basically, was a lot of like 2D six games, especially like is you know War Machine, where you usually only have 2D, or you know Hero Clicks, or a lot of those. Um, you start learning some like odds, percentages. What what's mm -hmm. 
what does good go on like i mean i think most people could say okay what's my chances of rolling a nine right or you know what's yeah, my chances right. of of rolling a seven we all kind of inherently start learning those numbers and statistics and so forth that's true and uh, a lot of quick math especially war machines where it's you know, a lot of like okay i gotta add like 13 pips together real fast and and then say a numbered column yeah. and you know yeah uh, so yeah, so there's like those like, the refinement of those of those kind of skills. Yeah, um, I really like what you were talking about in terms of like the interaction and the making of decisions, evaluating, analyzing. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually reminds me of something that I read a while ago, and it was an article that talked about companies bringing in dungeon masters to have work teams play uh, D&D together uh, for the purpose of uh, learning how to make some of those decisions. And those are like, those are some like soft skills that that, that we talk about that um, sometimes folks have, you know, naturally, like they're, those people are just really good people, people, but, but then you have some non-people people people who, who need to develop those soft skills Mm -hmm. and they're working in an environment where, where having those soft skills will help them to be more successful. And, um, so games like Dungeons and Dragons helps with that. But, but I would argue even games like this, um, you know, like War Machine can help you with that too. It's a little bit yeah. different because you're definitely in a more competitive environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes uh, you are in a competitive environment at work. Yeah. And so one of my favorite things that has come up, came up as a joke and become more serious or was actually serious is you guys have probably seen a way is a, the step-by-step guide to apply dungeons or to, to put dungeons and dragons onto your resume and the it seems like a joke at first, but if you break it down and you think about it, it's like you say, I meet, like you can put it into your resume when applying for a job of meets re- on a regular basis with a group of people for uh, social interaction, team building, and mm-hmm. um, compromising and problem solving. And that is exactly what D&D is, is you yeah. are a group of people socializing, compromising to try and figure out a plan to figure out a problem in a story that you're playing in. Yeah. It's, and it's, it sounds like a joke at first, but it's completely serious and it's something that people don't really think about. And it is a way for, like you said, to, um, to teach people soft skills of social interacting, um, where they get to play someone that's not themselves. And it gets, it's gets done in, um, in certain nursing homes and things like that, where there are, um, people of uh, different mental capabilities and things like that. The ones that are more capable, a lot of times they've been places have been starting to introduce D&D as a way to teach people in a controlled and safe environment acceptable social interactions yeah. and uh, things like that. And it's, it's a powerful tool and it's like, yeah. it was something that was started as a game and now look at the serious impact that it can have on somebody's yeah. life and teaching people how to be willing to compromise with other people and not always just be, and not always just say, well, I'm going to do and say whatever I want because I want to. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go charging in the dungeon like Leroy Jenkins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I think in many ways uh, we are just sort of scratching the surface on the topic of what games are. I think it's a good conversation for us to have and, and maybe come back to again in the future mm-hmm. and dive a little bit deeper, uh, mostly because we are a podcast that talks about games 
and we want to inspire people to play more games. And so understanding some of the games that are out there and maybe what you can get from them, what you can learn from them in the process of playing them can maybe help our listeners and, um, you know, maybe choose to try something new or, you know, try a new game and or meet, meet some new people and, 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 you know, go out there and be bold, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and so um, in some ways, I kind of want to put some closing thoughts on this, at least our conversation today, not the topic, because we will definitely revisit the topic again. Um, but I want to put some closing thoughts on it today. And, and then I want to um, get to our hobby desk and talk about what's coming up for, for, for our future. So, <laughs> yeah. So any, any closing thoughts before we, uh, before we move on? Um, just that's kind of an interesting way to, to break things down and, and look at, you know, like it, this has been a simple read so far. And like I said, look forward to reading and checking out a little bit more of it. But it's been, been a way to take a different eye on the, on the multitude of games. Um, even like I said, one I recently downloaded and then like I started, instead of just looking at the skin of the game, I started thinking more deep into the root and like figuring out exactly how the game works, what it's trying to tell me already, you know, and break it down, tearing the veil. Uh, my opinion, uh, was a little bit, is a little different. Um, I actually kind of struggled. I started reading the book from the very beginning, getting through and I got through about, about chapter four before I went back and started to try and reread chapter three. And I had, and I talked to Jeremiah about this out away from the cast. Um, but it's, I haven't read very many books that are like this and there's something about it that just kind of scratches me in the wrong way. Uh, and I was thinking about it. I was, I was trying to reread it. I had a difficult time, honestly, kind of getting through, some of the book and I don't know if maybe some of it just has to do with the fact that uh, I'm a little bit younger than you guys I don't have any kids and so there's a very different feeling there's a very strong disconnect that I feel with the author who also has kids and talks about watching his kids play games and what they're learning from it and then kind of brings about his why he starts really analyzing what games are and what they do and what they teach us and things like that and I I wrote I feel like part of the issue that I have with this book or this chapter in general is that I feel like it overanalyzes and dissects something that I don't really feel like needs to be picked apart from a personal standpoint. Uh, Maybe as a gamer and not as a game designer, uh, the subject is pulled apart and looked at uh, from an angle that I don't really feel like needs to be done. Uh, It feels kind of like a lecture from a person who who has an exceptionally high regard uh, for their own opinion is kind of the way that I felt reading the book a little bit. And it feels a little bit patronizing um, in some places. And not all of it was in this chapter, but some of it is kind of in a little bit. Some of the other just little anecdotes um, that are in there. And um, it's weird to try for me to try and think about um, the subjects that the subject that's in there and the opinions that are given. Yeah. Um, Because it feels over-analytical to me. Uh, But maybe that's kind of what is good about it. It's it's actually stopping and thinking about what games are and the reason why we're playing them or the reason why I'm playing some certain games in particular. Yeah. This is going to be the third time that I'm reading the book. And I think some of that 
will you'll be assuage uh, for and and more and deeper into the book and in some of the further chapters. Yeah. Um, I actually feel like he takes something that he knows a lot about and makes it simple and accessible for people who um, maybe don't think about this or maybe aren't in the gaming industry as well. I, th- I feel yeah. like he's I feel like he's playing with his audience. Like he has, yeah. he definitely has the people who are hardcore game designers. They they make board games and and whatnot and video games and things. But then he also has people who are like their parents and their sisters and you know who you know who like to play games but don't really think about why they like to play the games they like to play. Yeah. And so I actually feel like it helps us to get there. Some of the discussion that he has around the brain development and seeing patterns um, has been very helpful for me as as a uh, as a I used to be a classroom teacher. Yeah. And um, and so. Uh, and I actually communicate some of these ideas, um, you know, in, in some of the things that I that I have taught, you know, over the years. And so, um, so I appreciate the accessibility, and, and maybe it's just because I'm smart enough to understand what he's saying, and you know, and also like, like can get but can go deeper with him because he has all these extra notes in the back, you know. Like you yeah. definitely you the reason why you think it's patronizing is because you're smart too yeah. and you've thought about games and you know games. Yeah. And so and that's and I think and so maybe so maybe if our audience are people who think critically about games on a regular basis were to pick this up they would feel the same way as you. Yeah. Um, admittedly when I first picked it up, this is uh, was, you know, ten years ago, more than ten years ago or whatever um, I don't think I thought as deeply about games as I do now, and so when I first read it, it was very impactful. And, yeah. And so, um, in reading a second time when the tenth anniversary edition came out, and then with updated data on some of the stuff that he's presented, and then, and then now this is my third time. So, I'm looking forward to it because now I'm even deeper in games, and now I have a podcast where we talk about games. Yeah. And so I, I definitely am reading it with a more critical eye than before. You know, I was completely enamored the first time through, yeah. and each time I'm reading it, I, I'm starting to see more and more. Yeah. You know, and on and then have my own thoughts about it. So, yeah. I hope well, that it'll be a rewarding experience for you. Yeah, and I and I maybe my standpoint is also like it's a little bit overly critical because uh, this was not a a book that I came to on my own. It was a, I bought it for you. I I know that it was, this is a book that I was given as an assignment. And so it feels like homework. Um, it wasn't meant to be an assignment. I know. And, and maybe the, maybe subconsciously there's, there's a part of me that's thinking about it a little bit overly critical and just trying to naturally be a little bit more rebellious. And I, and, uh, (laughs) I should try, I should try better to be more open and, uh, absorbent of it. And accepting of it rather than trying it's, to be it's good you're fine yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's gonna be some things that that you'll like and there'll be some things you don't like and that's yeah. absolutely fine so um anyway yeah well uh let's let's get to the hobby desk and uh let's uh let's <laughs> talk about what what you're working on and uh, what you're looking forward to finishing what do you what do you have on your hobby desk oh you want me to go first yeah okay so um, I currently, I'm going to be doing the free RPG day, uh, campaign this Saturday at Guardian okay. Games. And so I'm running two sessions of Through the Breach. And so I ordered some Reaper minis to, uh, to be the bad guys in the story. Okay. And so I, I got those, uh, actually just finished painting up 
the um, the mole man, and um, and then I got an awesome snake. Um, I have to. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a coating on them uh, to finish them up. But I have the big bod, uh, the big bad boss person that's left um, to do, and I won't describe the person because uh, it's you the big boss to, in case yeah, anybody's gonna be in my session. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I took it over to Wes's this morning, and we got a tutorial on um, on how to do an airbrush. Mm. And so uh, we started airbrushing her, and then it. Uh, we started airbrushing it, and um, and he offered to finish it. So he's gonna mm. so he's gonna finish that, which means that cool. I get to go back to some of the other things on my hobby desk. Yeah, I recently got some transfers for the shoulder pads on my brazen claws. Okay, that I'll be working on, and so that'll be really good because um, I have some um, space marines that are those uh, those easy uh, push together ones. Oh yeah, the, you know. Easy to build ones. Easy yeah. build ones, yeah. and no so not a lot of a lot of crazy posing, and they're very yeah. generic, and and so I can easily just give them the brazen claw paint mm -hmm. scheme, and then put the transfer on, and they'll be good. Very cool. So I got that, and then um, I for my second scoring list, I, I think I need to build a couple more things. I haven't figured out exactly what it's going to be yet. Your kaiju stuff. Mm. <laughs> I have a lot of kaiju stuff. Uh, <laughs> they've been on the... Yeah, the last couple of weeks for work have been just really crazy. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I'm going to be gone again, you know, later this week. And Lock and Load's coming really fast, and I'm not going to be able to play it painted, which I'm really sad about. Mm. But um, it is what it is. What about you? Uh, I always have tons of stuff on my hobby desk. What I'm currently working on, though, is I realized the other day that uh, I had the hopes and dreams to take two, take enough Monpok miniatures to play a fully painted two monster game. Nice. Um, and I realized that I didn't have enough units the other day, so I bought another a second unit of G tanks mm -hmm. and a second unit of strike jets because I'm primarily going to be playing Defender X and Sky Sentinel. Nice. And I recently finished my Sky Sentinel, and I also recently joined the uh, Monpoc uh, 2018 Facebook group too, along with some other people that started playing at the store. Uh, and so I've been posting some stuff there and seeing some really cool paint jobs and things like that. Nice. And so I recently just got back my second unit of G tanks plus strike jets from, uh, from priming. Scott was kind enough to do that for me along with prime a bunch of other stuff. Um, so I have those to work on and the, the paint jobs that I did for them are, they're not super spectacular. They're pretty simple paint jobs, but I put a lot of work into defender X and also into sky Sentinel. Um, so I'm hoping to get those done should be pretty quick. Probably be able to knock those out this week. If I just dedicate some time and don't spread, if I don't, do other things that I've been occupying myself with yeah. recently. Um, <laughs> and then I have, I have Kraken Octus to paint up too. Uh, and I'm hoping to maybe get some buildings done here soon as well. Uh, eventually sitting um, primed and ready to go is the Mortarian that Nick bought for me to assemble his Monpok mon uh, miniatures and, and possibly nice. do some painting. So eventually that will actually make its way to my hobby table and, and start working on it. But that guy is going to be a monster yeah. to work on. And nice. I want to take my time on it. And so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving it for a time when I'm not rushed and I'm not working on some other commission jobs that I have been putting off because I, I didn't really know what direction I was going with the paint scheme. I've got some orcs that I'm doing for a friend and I finished his trike for speed freaks uh, i'm working nice. on his war boss now i've got a weird boy to do and then he also gave me uh, a noise marine to paint the new noise marine model okay um, i haven't seen that one yet 
it's a pretty cool one uh it's incredibly difficult to find now but uh if you can't find it it's, it's a cool model um i have no clue what i'm doing for the noise marine but i'm i'm working through the orcs uh, and then he's got more stuff for me after cool. that and that's a commission work that i'm doing cool. dan uh, what's on your hobby table well uh recently i finished up like so the uh some raiders and valka and uh and pig lookouts so now i gotta finish my Kulgrima and another unit of uh, ninja bears and then other than that, I've actually been kind of starting to work on a little bit of uh, infinity terrain. Nice. Oh, cool. So, Very cool. Yeah, that's kind of what I got going. Very Sweet. cool. Are you going to lock and load? I forgot. Um, Hoping I bought to. a ticket with a good chance of going, and okay. now with some things that have come up, it's pretty much a 1% chance I'll go oh, sort of thing. Shoot. Oh, So, uh, yeah. I'm uh, sorry. That sucks. Yeah. yeah. I just recently bought my ticket. Finally. Hey, oh, so, oh, I could have bought mine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, well... Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to pretend to be Dan Jackson yeah. all weekend. Oh, I yeah. 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 Ouch. Um. <laughs> yeah, speaking of lock and load, that's coming up uh, June 21, yep. 22, and 23 at uh, Bellevue. I'm so excited. Oh, dude. It's the weekend before my birthday. You know that, right? Oh, it's even better. Yeah. Nice. We get to celebrate your birthday. Yeah. Dude. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to playing lots of games and, and pushing some miniatures. I haven't decided what I'm... I know I'm taking Circle because I got rid of my Signar. Uh, and I actually had to pack and ship all of that stuff to California recently. So our recent nice discussion, work. our recent episode about packing and shipping models was very helpful. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, I know I'm taking Circle. I just haven't figured out what lists I'm going to try playing. Because yeah. I, I don't want to take... I took a, almost everything in Faction last year. And I don't want to take that much. Yeah. I'm taking Plus, two. I need room for Monpox stuff. So yeah, I'm just taking two lists and just gonna play those yeah. all weekend and and meet people and have yeah. fun. So I want to have like two 75 point lists and then like two different 50 point lists to play for like smaller point games. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. Yeah, that's and I want to and I want to play like I'm. So I think the two 75 lists I'm taking are just my my Grail Devourer's Host and my Kruger Two out of theme. Um, just because I know those lists well, but those are super competitive ones, and I want to mm. take a couple of fifty-point lists that are going to be a little bit more fun. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening to our uh, episode eighteen of Spellstorm mm-hmm. Miniatures, and we hope that our discussion um, helped you to think a little bit more deeply about the games that you play, and uh, we want to uh, keep inspiring you to play more games. And we want to ask you to uh, do us a favor. If you like our discussions, if you like uh, what we're doing, uh, go ahead and go online on whatever application you're using to listen and give us a good rating. And if you have anything in particular that you want to ask us, or if there is a topic that you would like us to discuss, uh, you can uh, message us at spellstormminiatures at gmail.com, or you can send us a message on our Facebook page or Twitter. And uh, you can even find us at spellstormminiatures.com to get a link to our Discord server. And uh, all three hosts are on there. And you can and we have a great discussions about all kinds of the games we play and, and uh, even some of the fun Kickstarter things that are coming out that we're supporting. Um, but we thank you for being a part of our community. And we hope that uh, you have a great time playing the games that you play. Thank you. Thank you.
Don't go.